Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start a a new series, uh, A Walk Worthy of the Lord. New series called A Walk Worthy of the Lord. And uh, it comes from, you know, I'm fresh off spending 10 days in China. And so just while I was there in China, the Lord was ministering to me. And it's no secret that the Lord is really... uh, just touched my heart with the, the example that the Chinese believers live. They, they really live a powerful faith, and it has challenged me in many ways. And, and so while I was there, uh, you know, I was just paying attention to their, their manner of life, just, you know, how they conduct themselves, and I felt very encouraged, very challenged, very blessed to, to be able to engage with those believers, because I recognize that the, the version of Christianity that they live is one that is, uh, I think, in, in, in many ways, a very pure version. It, it looks like what we read about in the Bible uh, in, in the first century. And, um, and so I, I, I was just reflecting, while I was there in China, I was just reflecting on their faith. You know, the faith of those that live in persecution and pressure on a day in and day out, uh, you know, basis. And, and it, it's, it's what the scripture talks about, a precious faith that's been tried by fire. And, and these believers, they, they exemplify that. They, they have a faith that through the testings and the pressures and persecutions, it's a pure faith. And uh, I was just reflecting on it and just, just uh, admiring, uh, you know, the, the Chinese believers that I've met because every one of them has a story. When you, when you start talking to them, you, you find out all these, I mean, just incredible things, um, you know, that they've been through, like the most humble people. And I, I met a man and... Uh, he, he, his son now leads his church network. The, the father is the one that actually started the network. And he, the father is probably mid-50s. And uh, I met him, and he was just uh, very average, um, just a very average-looking man. And when I found out his story and how he started the network, uh, I came to find out that he had spent more time in jail than he had uh, out of jail uh, during the years that his son was growing up. And um, had, had suffered intense persecution and, um, you know, just, just suffering for his faith in Christ. And this, this man, I mean, you would not pick him out of, in a crowd of five. You wouldn't say, well, that guy is the guy that started a church that's a million people. There's just no way. Because he's just a very average, average, humble man. And, uh, I mean... Here's Chan and I, and we're doing these training sessions, and this man is sitting in the back of the room and, and just listening, hanging on every word that we have to say, and I'm just thinking, you know, I need to be sitting in a training session and let him talk, not me sit there trying to train him. But, I mean, it was over and over and over. Every, I mean, literally, every believer that we talk to, they have these stories. They have these stories of pressures, persecutions, having to, you know, elude um, authorities and, and, you know, this family member or, or this friend or themselves tortured, beaten, imprisoned. All of them have, have experienced the, the, the challenge of what it means to live for Jesus in a hostile environment. And their faith as a result is a pure faith. It's, uh, and that's not perfect. I don't want to I don't want to uh, make it sound like the Chinese have this perfect deal. They don't. They're growing in the Lord. They're, they're growing in maturity. But so many of the believers have such a pure-hearted faith. It was just so challenging and so encouraging. And, and as I was reflecting on it, I just thought, you know, these guys, the way they live is appropriate to, uh, for ones that are called by the name of Jesus. They live an acceptable lifestyle. When you, know, when you say you're a Christian, when, you, when you're called by the name of Christ, they live an appropriate lifestyle 
that, that is one that is acceptable to be called by the name, the name of Christ. Now the scripture uses a phrase and it's called a worthy walk, a worthy walk. And it means an acceptable lifestyle, an acceptable lifestyle. And I was just challenged with the example of the believers and it was just ministering to me and it it just sent me on a journey in the word to look up uh, what the scripture says about walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Living a life worthy of the Lord. And I was, um, was kind of surprised, not kind of, very surprised uh, about what the Bible says is a lifestyle or a walk that's worthy of the Lord. You know, certain things would immediately hop into your mind. You think, well, that's probably the way that God, these are the ingredients, the characteristics, whatever the character traits that God would say is a worthy lifestyle. Uh, as I was reading through and sort of coming up with what God was saying is a worthy or acceptable lifestyle, I was, I was surprised because it wasn't what immediately jumped into my mind, even having a background in Sermon on the Mount, living in a community of 24-7 prayer and fasting, and just the things that were highlighted and emphasized caught me off guard. And uh, it just sent me on this journey. And so that's what I want to do uh, the next few weeks is I just want to kind of unpack that. I want to unpack what the Bible says is a walk worthy of the Lord. And uh, uh, in the back of my mind is the example that I saw amongst the Chinese believers, which is just always so challenging. And, you know, our last trip to China, we were, uh, we were trying to fight the idea that these believers were going to serve us. And they just served us down until we were in tears. I mean, they just overly, overly served us. And it was just, it was just too much. So this time... We just, we just showed up and gave up and just, I mean, just let them just, just do what they do well and humiliate us with their ridiculous hospitality. And it was, it was heartbreaking and incredible and beautiful and excruciating and humiliating all at, all at one time. It was, it was wonderful, great and terrible. But, uh, so I'm coming from that place of, of, of looking at the lifestyles of some of these Chinese believers and. And I mean, the stories are, you can just go all day long asking about stories of different ones that have gone through different things. And, and, and so I just, I just felt like, man, they're, they're living a lifestyle that's worthy. And, and I want that myself. And that's where this is coming from. I'm coming from the place of going, I need a worthy walk. It doesn't matter if I'm in, uh, you know, uh, America where we have so many, so many uh, material things provided for us. It doesn't matter where I live on the earth. I just want to live a life that's worthy. And uh, so that's where I'm coming from. So um, the Bible, I'll just start with this. The Bible uses uh, a walk worthy of the Lord, a walk worthy of the gospel, a walk worthy of your calling. It says these things of the gospel, your calling, the Lord. And, and it's, it's mostly Paul using that terminology. When he uses those terms, He's talking about the same thing. He's talking about living a lifestyle worthy of the name of Christ and the calling that we have in Jesus. In other words, being part of the family of God. A a walk that's worthy of being called by the name of Christ. And so uh, I want to start the ideas, I want to start unpacking it here in Colossians 1. It's a little bit of a Bible study, and uh, we're going to work phrase by phrase through this, these verses here in Colossians 1, and then uh, in the next few weeks, we'll unpack a little bit more, and I, and I, really, I really believe that we're going to, if we'll lean into this a little bit, I believe it'll open our heart to, uh, to um, engage with the Lord in a way that's, that's really beautiful, and so that's where I want to go with this. So let's look at Colossians 1. Uh, verse 9, Paul speaking to the Colossians about a prayer uh, that he's been praying for them in light of the fact of their, of their faith that he's, that he's heard testimonies about. And so he says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, what Paul does is he gives us a couple points. He says, I'm praying for this and this so that you can have a worthy walk. And then what he does is he defines in in generic terms what a worthy walk is. And that's what I want to do. I want to look at the ingredients that he prays for so that we would have a walk that's worthy. And then I want to walk through what I think he's defining as a worthy walk. That's basically what we're going to do today. And uh, the very first thing I want, I want to just lay out before we even walk through these phrases is this. This is by grace. When we're talking about walking worthy or living a lifestyle that's acceptable or appropriate with the name that we're called by, the name of Jesus, this is by grace, beloved. This doesn't come any other way. This doesn't come because you decide, I'm going to be a better person, or I'm going to have more character, or I'm just going to try harder. I mean, there is an application of your heart towards the things of righteousness that's necessary, but ultimately, walking worthy is a product of the grace of God working in you, your cooperation with grace. Ultimately, it means this. If you'll say yes to God's invitations and grace, you'll find yourself living a lifestyle that will be acceptable to the Lord. I I mean, I've got to make that clear on the front end. This is about saying yes to God and no to the devil. I love to say this. Every single day, we have a sign in each hand. In one hand, it's a yes sign. In the other hand, it's a no sign. Christianity can be boiled down to this. Use the yes sign when God is asking you to do something and use the no sign when the enemy is asking you to do something. Yes to God, no to the devil. I promise it'll turn out good for you. I, I swear, I swear. It will, be, it will go well with you. It will be well with your soul. It's all about saying yes to God's invitations in grace. What I mean is this. God will invite you into a whole bunch of stuff. Your job is to say yes. Whatever it is, big, small, or indifferent, God might invite you into something that you might think is completely inconsequential, or you might think it's completely, you know, I mean, just just momentous. I mean, just huge. And, And here's the thing. No matter what it is that God asks you in, say yes. If he asks you to be the head person in charge of picking the lint out of the corners of the church, yes. Or if he asks you to be the president of the universe under his son Jesus, yes. It doesn't matter the scale, scope, or your opinion of that that platform or position. It's just yes to God. And here's why. The pay is the same no matter what your position is, as long as you're saying yes. He pays obedience the same no matter what you look like in front of man. He pays obedience the same. Man, I'm preaching way better now. Amen in right now. He pays obedience the same regardless of your station in front of humanity because it's about his invitations to you. He's ultimately the one that enables you. He's ultimately the one that calls you. And it's ultimately about just saying yes wherever he leads. And you know what's interesting? So often we want him to lead us to the mountaintop. We want, to lead, we want him to lead us to all this cool success, whatever, whatever. And God goes, I lead as much to the valley as I do to the mountain. I lead as much to the furnace as I do to the place of deliverance. I lead as much to the lion's den as I do to the place of victory. That's how I lead. That's what I do. Beloved, you got to say yes on the way down and yes on the way up. That's what this thing is about. Saying yes to God and no to the enemy. It really is. I know it sounds, you might think you're just so oversimplifying it. Not really. In between is a lot of details. I get it. 
But ultimately, it's yes, God, what do you want? Yes. What's your pleasure? What's your will? Yes. God, that's going to make me look foolish, but yes. God, no one's going to understand that plan, but yes. God, I don't think I even get it. Yes. And then the devil with all his manifold lusts and temptations and promises and manipulations. No. 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 That's, that's really this life. Okay, with that in mind, let's look through the phrases here. He goes, so from, since the time I heard of your faith, <clears throat> I've been praying for you. I haven't ceased to pray for you this way. He goes, and I'm asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. Now, most of us will immediately jump to this when we think of the knowledge of his will. We'll go, right, I need to know exactly what God wants me to do. We'll immediately jump to our, uh, you know, sort of specific application of the knowledge of his will. We'll go, okay, right, what do you want me to do, God? What is it that you're asking me to do? What is the knowledge of your will for me? But I would propose that while that is probably in view in this scripture, it's not what's firstly in view. What I mean is, this isn't firstly about his knowledge of, the knowledge of his will specifically for each individual. It's about the knowledge of his will in the sense of what is his agenda? What is he doing? What are his plans and purposes? What is God about? What's God doing in the earth? And I'll draw your attention to Ephesians 1. Now, Paul is praying for the Colossians, and he's saying, this is what I pray for you. The Ephesians, he says nearly the same thing. So Ephesians 1, he says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. This is so familiar. We pray it all the time in the house of prayer. Look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding may be uh, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Just say his calling. His calling. It's funny to me how most believers read this and they go, yeah, that I might know the hope of my calling. The, the hope of his calling. Jesus calling. Jesus has a calling? Yes, he has a calling. He has a commission from the Father. And my point becomes this. The hope of his calling I think is equal to the prayer he's praying in Colossians 1, the knowledge of his will. I think those are equal. The knowledge of his will in a broad sense, the hope of his calling in a broad sense, from there we can, we can conceive of reality the right way. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. There is a calling that Jesus Christ has that is the overarching calling and the overarching application of the Father's will Within his calling, we all find our specific place, but the point we've got to know is, what is he doing? What is his dream? What is he about? Where, where is he taking things? All of human history is heading toward an end, and that end is the will of God. He will have his way. And so when it says the hope of his calling and the knowledge of his will, here's the point. There's a broad agenda and it has to do with who the man Christ Jesus is and what he is going to accomplish in the earth. Who Jesus Christ is and what he's going to accomplish in the earth. Here's the deal. Jesus came as a slain lamb, shed his blood, redeemed humankind. And most of the time in Christian circles, we end the story there. And we say, and you've got to get in on that. Beloved, that's the beginning of the story of redemption. The full story is this. And that one who is a slain lamb is coming back to the earth as a lion. And he's going to take rulership of the nations. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship him. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And you and I, his, his beloved bride, will reign with him on the throne. Whoa! Hey, hey, that's a huge point to leave out. Listen, I'm not saying we, we speak any less of the cross. 
But I'm saying we've got to comprehend that his calling is far more intricate and involved than him simply doing the cross. The cross was what opens the door to this fact that Jesus Christ is coming to a planet near you very soon and he will rule and reign over the nations. There is a calling that is broad. There is a a massive will of God that has to do with ages to come. And Christ Jesus is the centerpiece of it. This man that God has chosen, I love Psalm 2, it says, I've already chosen my king. I've already set him on my holy hill in Zion. He will reign and the nations will rage against it. But they are fools. They need to bow low and kiss the sun lest he be angry. Because the sun will rule and reign. He will overthrow all the thrones of all the nations. Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem. Beloved, and that's just the next age. We've got ages after that. Guess who else is coming to the earth? The Father. He's the one who was, who is, and who... <laughs> Whoop. The Father is coming too. The knowledge of His will. The knowledge of His will. And what we can tend to do is we kind of dial it in in a little bit of a self-centered way. We go, yeah, God, what do you want me to do? And I don't think that, I don't think that we just throw away the whole application of what is my place in that. But here's the deal. The broad knowledge of His will enables us to figure out how we connect in the kingdom of God. And it's his will that we have to comprehend. So we get in on his will, on his story, and then we can know our part in his plan. Come on. Here's what I, I've got a little, I've just, I've got a little burn in my saddle that I've been just kind of harping on. Uh, and, and our students and our interns always come in, a lot of them always ask me the same, I mean, they almost always ask the same, the same question. How do I know the will of God? For my life. I hear that from young people all the time. And, I, and they go, I need a plan. I need a strategy. I need a one, three, and five, and ten year goals. I need a vision. How do I figure out God's vision for me? And I just say, I think it's the wrong, wrong question. The question you need to ask is, what is his vision? What's he doing? What's the knowledge of his will? What's the hope of his son's calling? Find that out and then ask him what the application is for you in your life. Because ultimately, Jesus is the star in the kingdom of God. I, I've, I'm, uh, how do I say it? Not happy. I'm not happy with our focus on being the hero of our own vision. A very humanly centered way that we, we come up with these visions and these plans and these strategies and we tend to be the hero of our own vision. Beloved, there will only be one hero in the kingdom of God when this is all said, is, said and done. His name is Jesus. We need to know the hope of his calling. We need to know his will, his agenda, what he's doing in the earth. And then we can connect to his plan and his story in the way that he wants us to. So the application to us individually only comes, it only comes once we comprehend what he's about and what he's doing and what the grand scheme is. Can you say amen? So he goes, Paul says, I'm praying for you. I pray you be filled with the knowledge of his will. The point is that you know where this thing is going and then you can reorient your life in a way that makes sense for ultimate kingdom purposes. That's a huge point. That we orient our lives in a way that makes sense for the kingdom purposes of Christ coming to the earth and reigning and ruling over the nations. Because whatever we do, it's unto those ends. All right. That applies in a broad way, the knowledge of his will, and then in a narrow way. And then he says this, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, we just read Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians 1, he says that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding, or spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
Here he says that you would you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's the same idea. All spiritual wisdom and understanding is the same idea as a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul, just using a little different language, talking to two different groups about the same idea. You've got, and here's, a, here's the idea. Here's the big plan, the big idea, I mean. The big idea is you've got to have the spirit of revelation on you to comprehend what's God doing in the earth. What's God after? Where's God going with this thing? He goes, I want you to know the will of God. I want you to know the hope of his calling. And you need revelation to discern it. This is how it breaks down for us. We emphasize the spirit of revelation that we would know him. Right? Ephesians 1.17, that we would know him. The spirit of revelation, that we would know him. And what? The hope of his calling. The hope of his calling has to do with his agenda and his plans in the earth. My point is, we equally need the spirit of revelation to know God, to know what he's like, and to know what he's doing. That's what Paul says. He goes, I'm going to give you the overarching concepts here. You've got to know what he's like. You've got to know what he's doing. You've got to know the knowledge of his will. You need revelation for this. And then he's going to get into telling us how to walk worthy. But unless we understand where Christianity is going, unless we understand what Jesus is called to do, unless we understand the end of this age, for instance, that the Lord has in mind, what we're heading toward, the way we live day to day will be disconnected unless we are connecting to his ultimate agenda. Does that make sense? If our leader is heading a certain way and we're supposedly his followers, but we are disconnected from the way he's leading, from where he's going, we're just sort of doing our life based on me, me, me. All of a sudden, we're completely out of step with his agenda. And that's why Paul's praying this. He goes, I want you filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you'd have this thing resting on you from heaven. And this is where the point is. These things are not naturally comprehended. We're not just sort of going to forecast it by human means. What's God doing? What's the plan of God? We're not sort of just going to construct a human story and figure out what God is bringing to pass. It's only spiritually discerned. It only comes by a spirit of revelation. Beloved, we have got to have the spirit of revelation on us to know him And to know what he's about, know where he's going, know what his agenda is. Man, amen. So this is what he lays foundationally, because these are the prayers I'm praying for you. That you see the big picture. You comprehend your place in the story. And that revelation would rest on you with all spiritual understanding. So you'd you'd see the value of the plans of God and the the, uh, activity of the kingdom of God. That he's releasing in the earth. And from there, you'd have a worthy walk. It's it's from that basis that we can walk worthy of him. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I, I was moved over that because I just, you know, I just thought about these Chinese and I just thought, man, there's simplicity and the, the focus and the discipline and the passion that so many of them exhibit. I mean, I walked into this prayer room and there's these two aunties. We would call them grannies. They call them aunties. On their knees. Tears streaming down their face. In a three-hour prayer shift no Misty Edwards no Monica Silva no none of that they're carrying the worship and they're carrying the prayer and they're weeping and pouring their heart out before the Lord and I walk into the room and I'm just looking at these two ladies and I'm I mean I'm just undone in the in the One of the women that's with us that's showing us around, she gives us the details. She's speaking to us, and I'm just looking at these two ladies. And Finally, they're looking at us. 
And then through the interpreter, the, the auntie that's there weeping asks me if I can pray for her. I'm just, I'm just embarrassed. I mean, you know, I just want to say, that's a bad idea and you should pray for me. But I want to be honorable. I want to honor her request. And so I say, yes, I pray for you. And I, I put my hand on their head. They all want you to lay hands on their head. Always on the head. Hand on the head. Lord, touch her. Release grace on her. Do something, Jesus. I just, I mean, I just feel like I've got nothing to offer her. And I'm just weeping, weeping, weeping. And <clears throat> I say, man, I mean, it just, it just feels like just the weakest prayer because I just feel so small in this place. And then they're praying for me. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm just messed up over this whole thing. And I just think many are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I, can, I just got this picture in my mind, the angelic ranks going, oh, here comes the big wigs. And in our American minds, we're going to go, oh, you know, must be major, major named ministers. The guy with the 25,000 member church. And here's going to come this line of little grandmas that spend their lives in little rooms that nobody knew off the beaten path in persecuted nations. Who sent incense. Who sent the incense of prayer into into the atmosphere of the earth. And made the way for the rest of us to be able to stand for Christ. And, and we're going we're gonna to be, I mean, just in shock as these no-name intercessors have their life unfolded in front of us and it'll be 60, 80 years of being poured out in a small little place that nobody knows about. It's just like, it's a worthy walk. It's a worthy walk. The way they spent themselves, it's a worthy walk. I'm blown away by how so many Christians believe that if you're not going after the American dream, that somehow you've gotten off the path. Beloved, the American dream is not the dream of the kingdom. That if you'd spend your life for Jesus in a way that doesn't make you popular or doesn't make you successful in America, that somehow that's a bad way to spend your life. Christians that believe this. And I think, oh man. When the great reckoning comes, when we stand before him and the lives of all his people are open and unveiled for all to see, And here come the aunties. Oh, Jesus. I want to live a life that's worthy. I want to walk that's worthy. That's acceptable. And so while I'm there in China, I'm in in the hotel room. And jet lag can be a great friend because it'll wake you up early. So you get up early to pray. And it's early morning and it's just quiet and no one's up. And the Lord says this phrase to my heart. I'm not even thinking about this. And the Lord says this phrase to my heart. It's so clear. He says, American popularity has nothing to do with the value of a ministry in my kingdom. American popularity has no basis, nothing to do with the value of a ministry in my kingdom. And I just, you know, in my heart I went, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know that. I'm not thinking that, that if we're important in America that we're important. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Most of our measurements as to whether or not people are successful in America has to do with how popular they are to Americans. I just, 
I just took pause. I had to reevaluate myself. I went, wait, I, I don't think I'm entangled in a, in a world system of, of value, of what's popular. Or, but what do I think is got momentum on it? American popularity is not what determines whether a ministry is successful in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you've got a million followers on Twitter or a maxed out Facebook page. None of that matters in the kingdom of God. That has no, that has no uh, influence on whether or not something is successful in the kingdom. Those little aunties weeping in an unknown room for hours on end. I thought that was an appropriate way to live. An acceptable offering for Jesus. A suitable offering. All those words, appropriate, acceptable, suitable. They're, other, they're just ways of saying a worthy way to live. That's what Paul's talking about. A lifestyle that's worthy of the Lord. Now here's the thing. <sighs> God has all sorts of directives individually for each of our lives that equals worthy. It's what I said before. The, the, the issue is obedience to the invitations and grace. But real, it's really obedience to the invitations and grace. Where he puts you, where he directs you, where he leads you, that's the issue. Say yes, say yes, say yes a thousand times and it'll be acceptable. It'll be suitable. It's the thousand yeses in a little, and all sorts of little things. A thousand yeses in a little things that end us up in the dead center of His will, and a life that's worthy. I started having to ask myself this question, and I want you to think about this question: What do you want the summary of your life to be? When you take the whole of your life, you package it up, you have something to show for the 80 or so years you get to live on this earth. What's the summary statement? What do you want the byline to be? I just want it to be that my, my life was worthy of the Lord. It was suitable to the one who saved me. It was acceptable for the name that I'm called by. Am I communicating? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He gives us three points. I've got to move through these kind of quickly. I'm going to take the order and move it around. It says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, being fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm going to do bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, fully pleasing to him. I'm going to land with fully pleasing him. So I'm just going to switch the order. Here's Paul's definition of a worthy walk. Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, fully pleasing him. Bearing fruit. Now, the last thing I want you to do is get under some uh, condemnation or some spirit of striving. And, and, and walk away thinking, I've got to try harder. I've just got to try harder. I'm unworthy and I've got to try harder. This is not about trying harder. This is about saying yes to grace. He'll invite you in grace to do crazy stuff, stuff way beyond your giftings, way beyond what you're able to do, way beyond your resources, way beyond anything that makes sense naturally. Grace will always invite you and then enable you into stuff that's way beyond you. That's what's fun about getting to play in the kingdom. We get to play in a zone that's so far above our head, it's just a ball. And I go through this process of going, woo, whatever you want, Lord. Call me into stuff that doesn't make sense. I'm totally freed up. My hands are off the steering wheel to, dear God, what are you doing? Oh, I can't do it. I, I go back and forth. 
On a good day, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm way beyond anything I could ever accomplish in my own strength. This is grace out here. And the next day, I'm like, dear God, I'm going to die. What are you doing? Grace calls you out of the boat. Thank God Jesus is out of the boat. You know, that's the point. And so he says, every good work, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, the application of fruit, let me give it to you quickly. Sometimes in the scripture, fruit is talking about character. In Matthew 7, in Galatians 5, fruit is speaking about the character of your heart, the soil of your heart and the produce of of good character. In Matthew 7, it says, you'll know a good tree by the fruit it bears. In Galatians 5, 19, it talks about the fruit of the spirit and gives us heart traits, character traits of the heart. Other times in the scripture, fruit is talking about works. The the fruit that one bears is actually the works that come out of their life. Here, he's talking about bearing fruit in good works. Good works. Let me give you a verse, though, that helps you because we go, oh, I got to do good, I got to do good, I got to do good. Yes, yes, you do have to do good, but let me show you how much help God gives you in doing good. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. So we go, worthy walk, it's a walk that bears good fruit. Gosh, if I want to be worthy of the Lord, I got to bear good fruit, I got to bear good fruit. He goes, that's right. Now John 15 gives us the tip off on how to bear fruit. You abide in him, and that's how you bear good fruit. You stay flowing with Holy Spirit, and fruit will will be manifest in your life. But look at this in Ephesians 2, verse 10. I'll give you verse 8, 9, 10. I love how the Lord has already helped us bear good fruit. Look at it. Verse 8. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not as a result of works, or as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, I love this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The good works that God has for you, bearing fruit in good works that accords with a worthy walk, the good works are already prepared for you from eternity past when you're the dream of God, when God thought about you, smiled and actualized your existence that would come a billion years later. God dreamed of you and he thought of you and he delighted in you and he created good works for you to do. The works are not a process, uh, 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 are not from you doing, as hard, you know, working as hard as you can. It's, it's not from you striving. The works are from you agreeing with grace. The good works are prepared beforehand by God. Already prepared. What you'll be in 10 years, in 20 years, in 50 years if you're young, what you'll be has already been prepared by God. The way to get there, yes. Yes, 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 God, yes, 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 yes. No, devil, devil, no, 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 no. Yes, God. And I love with young people, because what the Lord will tend to do with young people is he'll give them a glimpse of where they're gonna be. Puts them in the, in the prophecy rooms. You know, they, they have a, a certain day in the prophecy rooms and they just read everybody's mail. I mean, names and numbers are just blowing everybody up. They walk out, they go, I'm a prophet to the nations. I know it. And maybe, but we really won't know for 25 years. Because there's a thousand yeses in between that nice little taste God gave you in the prophecy room and the 25-year mature version. You have to say yes a thousand times on the way. Come on. But the pressure is off when you realize the good works were prepared 
on the front by God. I love this. If you say yes, you'll find yourself playing with God in the kingdom, doing stuff way beyond what you'd ever have dreamed. I mean, it could be, it could be doing stuff way beyond you ever have dreamed, and, and it equals persevering through suffering at the highest level. You're like, I didn't plan on this. He goes, I know. I'm working for your next stage and not for this one. I have got incredible rewards. Be faithful. Be faithful through the pain. Be faithful through the suffering. There's grace. Just keep saying yes. I promise you, grace will take you to the valley just as much as it'll take you to the, to, to the mountaintop. It's, it's not about your natural position. It's about yes to God. It's about yes to God. The good works are prepared beforehand. A lot of times the good works are just faithfully persevering through trials. Staying faithful through pain. Sometimes the good works are about changing someone's life. We call them divine appointments. That's what us charismatics call us. We call it divine appointments. We pray that God would give us divine appointments. He goes, oh, you mean the good works that I've already thought about from a billion years ago? Yeah. I've actually got you praying so you would connect to the good work that I've already prepared so you'd run into that person at the right time, drop the word of the Lord on them, see them break down, get saved, get filled, get delivered, good works prepared beforehand. I love it. He goes, I want you to bear good fruit. Bear good works. And the pressure is off if you say yes because he's already prepared the good works beforehand for us. Moving along. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God. I am going to do no justice to that phrase. I've got entire series on that phrase. I have hours of teaching on this issue. And the point I'll just make is this. The foundational element of everything that we do is, is this, coming to know who God is. The knowledge of God. We get to find out who God is for the entirety of our lives and the entirety of, of our existence forever and ever and ever and ever. And here's the coolest thing about God. We will come to know him more and more and more and more and never come to the end of him. He's infinite. There is no end to an infinite well. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Don't you dare buy into the idea that you already know him. So you know the infinite one. Okay, so you know infinite love. You know that. You know infinite power. You know infinite kindness. You know infinite kindness. Come on. Always increasing in the knowledge of God. A worthy walk. Bearing good fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, and then this is the one I'm going to land with, fully pleasing. Fully pleasing. This is the one, this is the one that nailed me. Because I, I want to walk worthy of the Lord, and I realize that Paul's premier way that he's describing a worthy walk is a walk that brings God pleasure. Now we know that God delights in the saints, the excellent ones on the earth in whom is all his delight. He delights in his people. He rejoices and spins over his people, Zephaniah 3. We know that, the God, that, that our God is a God that loves his people and delights in them. And then Paul, though, goes ahead and adds this thing. He says, if you walk in a manner that's worthy, I'm going to add a word to it. He goes, there's a fully pleasing peace. In other words, I can bring God a full measure of pleasure. I go, a fully, full, full pleasure. I can, I can bring him full pleasure to his heart. I can offer him something. A life. I can offer him a life laid down and abandoned to him and it will please his heart to the full and this is the question that we've got to ask. This is the question that we've got to orient our lives around. This is the lens that we have to approach things with. 
when you're getting up in the morning, are you wondering what it is that will please him today? What will please you today, Father? What's your pleasure? See, that's the question every bondservant should ask. What's your pleasure, Jesus? What pleases you? Pleases you? What moves your heart? What will touch you today, Jesus? What will touch you today, Jesus? The way we tend to orient is what will please me today. But in Christ, it's what will please you today, Lord. And I know this, the highest pleasure you can touch is pleasing the heart of God. If you ask the right question about pleasure, you'll experience pleasure at the highest level. But the right question isn't, what will please me? The right question is, what will please you, Jesus? Do we orient from there? Do we orient from what pleases Jesus, what pleases his heart, what makes his heart full of delight? See, a worthy walk is a walk that pleases the Lord. That's where I want to live. I want to live there. I, <sighs> he didn't call me to be living in the countryside in China. So I can't offer that life to him. He called me to live in America. I can't offer him, you know, poverty and persecution because I live in a communist regime, because I don't. But what I can offer him is a faithful yes in everything he's asked me to do right where he's put me. A faithful yes. A worthy walk. A heart that's pleasing. That's what I want. Would night and day prayer make you happy, Lord? Oh, yeah. We'll do our best. Would reaching GGC bring you pleasure? Oh, yeah. I'll make Jamie Boyd do it. (laughs) But I'll give him everything he needs. Would uh, going to the nations... And calling them to worship you day and night. Would that make your heart happy? Oh, yes, son. I'm there. Would serving others and giving my stuff away and doing menial tasks bless your heart? Oh, yeah. I'm in for that too then, Lord. About loving my family, would that make your heart happy? Yes, son. Sign me up then, Lord. What's going to be the story of your life? What's, what's going to be the summary statement? Three verses, and we're done. Second Timothy chapter two, don't, don't turn there, just look, it'll come up on your screen. No one engaged in warfare entangles him in, himself with the affairs of this life. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Beloved, there's so many affairs of life, and I'm not talking about the natural things that you have to take care of. I'm not talking about having a checkbook and, you know, 
paying your rent or your mortgage, just doing the natural things, natural affairs. I'm talking about the spirit of this age that entangles us in a mindset that gets our focus on ourselves or living up to a standard of human success based in, in Western mentalities that have zero to do with success and what's valuable in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about being entangled with a world system that draws you into the lust of the flesh. And deludes you into believing that success has something about how much you have monetarily or how much uh, praise of men you get. Entangled in a system that has no validity in the kingdom. It's about a paradigm that values things the way Jesus does or that values things the way the world does, entangled. Oh, I want to be unentangled, unencumbered. I want to be free from thinking that way, thinking the way the world thinks. I want to think with kingdom values. I know the voices are loud. I I, I promise you, beloved brothers and sisters, the amount of time we spend listening to news outlets probably isn't serving our hearts as it relates to being entangled or unentangled from the world system. It doesn't matter who the news channel is, they're probably not speaking as an oracle of the kingdom. Just a thought. My mind is blown about how many Christians have such strong opinions about so many earthly things. They're not even kingdom values. They sound nice and kingdom-oriented, but they're just not. There's an agenda. God has it. His son's going to come and rule. What about that one? There's a kingdom value. Overthrowing the thrones of all nations so Jesus can reign. There you go. <laughs> Let's get on his plan on how to do that. There's just an entanglement that we've got to get loose of. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Look at this one. Do not forget to do good and to share... For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Sacrificial giving, sacrificial sharing, giving it away instead of getting it for yourself because I love those sacrifices. They please my heart. I talked to someone recently and they were saying, uh, we've decided, our family has decided, we're we're not going to do Christmas gifts for ourselves anymore. We just want to give it away. We just want to live a life of just giving it away. I was like, I was challenged. I go, wow. They they go, we don't need another shirt. We don't need another trinket. I was like, whoa, that's that's intense. And they said, the only thing right now is holding us back is we have to have the talk with our family. All believers now. I go, the talk. I said, yeah, we've got to tell our family that we're not doing this thing. We want to give it away. We're going to have to stand our ground. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. And I just thought, man, how much, I mean, think about the challenge. Believers who have to fight with their family to give stuff away instead of get stuff at Christmas. Mm, Entangled. This is the one that was the devotional piece to me. This is the one that I said, me too, Lord, me too. Hebrews 11, here it is, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken, taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. And then he ties it to the issue of faith. Beloved, this life lived in faith, stepping out on a limb where God says come, stepping out on the water, saying yes to grace when it doesn't make sense, when everybody around you thinks you've lost your mind, but just faithfully saying yes to God. (sighs) Enoch had this testimony. That he pleased him. And that's the testimony I want. That's the one I want. 
I made his heart happy. I caused pleasure to happen in the heart of the uncreated God. Fully pleasing. Walking worthy. This is where I want to go. A worthy walk. Amen. Amen. We're going to unpack these things over the next few weeks. We're just going to walk through scriptures and and work through them. Next week, Paul is going to break down what he says, the ingredients, specific ingredients, character traits, heart realities of of, of a worthy walk is. And I got to tell you something. When I began to study it and I looked through it and I read what Paul emphasized, the five or six things that he emphasized, he said, these things in the heart of believers, it's what's worthy of the Lord. When I saw that, I went, that is mind-boggling to me because at least one of them, I've never heard a message on and I've never heard it emphasized. He lays out the traits and there's one of them that just pierced me because I've never heard it preached nor have I heard it ever been emphasized. Ever. I won't tell you what it is. Next week. Next week. Let's stand. We'll walk through it next week. Tell I want to live, beloved. I want to live in a manner worthy of Jesus.